All right, kiddos, if you're still in here, K through second, you guys can head back to Journey Kids. Third through fifth, you're hanging with us, and we're glad you're here. So if you haven't yet, turn to Colossians, or if you closed it up, open it back up. We're going to look together at Colossians chapter one. Last week, we uh, kicked off a new series looking at the book of Colossians, which is a letter written to a church in Colossae, and it is unique in several ways, one of which is that this is one of Paul's letters, but this is not one of Paul's churches that he planted directly. Uh, so Paul planted a lot of churches and was totally transformed by the gospel himself, uh, and, and Jesus sent him out as a, an apostle planting churches all over the region. Um, but the work was not uh, dependent upon Paul. Uh, the gospel has power in and of itself. And so as Paul preached the gospel and trained others to, do, uh, to learn about the gospel, the gospel continued to go well beyond Paul. And we celebrated that last week, that it's not about a pastor or a preacher uh, in particular, but it's about the power of the gospel in and of itself. And so as Paul was uh, teaching this Bible study and it sort of became this training center in Ephesus, People from all over Asia, it says in Acts 19, came and, and ended up hearing the gospel as a result. And one of those was a guy named Epaphras, and he came from Colossae to Ephesus to learn under Paul. And he took what transformed his life, this good news of this Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, back to his hometown in Colossae and started a church. And so this is where um, we get the book of Colossians. This is a church that has, was started uh, through one of Paul's disciples, Epaphras, and um, they've been doing pretty well, uh, but they're coming upon some struggles and there's some pressures and there's some, so there's some questions, there's some uh, false teaching creeping in. And so what, we've got, what we gather is that Epaphras uh, goes and finds Paul, who is currently in prison in Rome, probably under house arrest and his first imprisonment in Rome. I said first, yeah, this guy, Paul gets locked up regularly. Um, and so he's in a, a house arrest and Epaphras is able to go visit him and share some of these struggles. And so Paul sends him back with a letter, uh, which is indeed what we are reading here today. The book of Colossians was a letter written to those people, very real people, just like you and I, struggling with how do we live out this faith? How do we live out this faith in the midst of ever-changing world, in a world that has different ideas and different uh, worldviews and different uh, thoughts about what we should believe and how we get um, you know, uh, our knowledge and what that knowledge should be and all of these things. There's similar struggles, totally different time, but similar struggles. Paul writes this letter. And so last week, we just simply looked at and celebrated the power of the gospel that made it to them and transformed their lives. And today, we're going to look at the sort of the closing part of his introduction to the letter where he... Uh, not only says that he's praying for them and not just gives the, the uh, kind of the grace and truth um, greetings, but actually goes in and, and shares with them what he is praying for them. And so uh, the title of today's sermon is A Pastor's Hope for His Church. What is, a, what is this pastor hoping um, these people will experience? What is he praying for them? And, and I want to just stop because, you know, while you're not pastors, most of you, I, I want you to stop and think about what, what would that be? Like, maybe, maybe you think, what, what is my hope for you as, as our church? Or what, what is a pastor's hope for his church? What, is it, what does a pastor hope happens in and through the church that he's called to lead? And honestly, think about that. What, what, is, a, what, what is a pastor's hope? What, and, 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 you know, perhaps it, you could think back through different pastors and, and the way they spent their energy or the way they postured themselves or the different churches you've been a part of, and maybe that answer varies. But what is or what should be the hope of the pastor? Is it, is it just to grow the church? 
Is that the hope of the pastors, that we would fill the seats, right? Butts in the seats, money in the bank, like that sort of thing, right? So we can grow and more and more and bigger and bigger. Or, or, is, it, or is, it just, is it just about depth? You have some churches that just focus on teaching depth. We want to all have a really um, large knowledge of the scripture. And so we don't really care if anybody comes and meets Jesus that doesn't know him yet, we're just going to focus here. And then other churches don't really care if we grow in depth. We're just going to, you know, throw the seed far and wide and try to bring people in. So we end up diluting the the doctrines and and we just preach this, you know, sort of reduced gospel, right? And then somewhere in between is, is what a lot of us experience where churches are just worried about making converts and not disciples. And if you've never asked the question, what's the difference? Well, uh, they're both important, but we are commanded by our Jesus to go and make disciples. And, and he says that, that means we're going to be baptizing them um, and teaching them to obey all that he taught those disciples. And so what does that mean? It's not just about conversion, but it's about discipleship. That's the heart of of, of the mission that Jesus gave us as his church. And so therefore, what the answer should be, uh, you know, what, what is the pastor's hope for the church is that disciples would be made, right? That lives would be transformed. And so um, that is, is what we're gonna see in, in, in a snapshot here, but here really the, the heart behind this, uh, this, this prayer from Paul. But I don't know that I answered the question really well. A convert would be somebody who, who is simply, not, not simply, but, but um, only... Um, confess Jesus as their savior. So they pray to prayer. And this is how a lot of the churches in our area, we're still Bible Belt. You know, I know we're part of Illinois, but you know, it, this is still Bible Belt country down here. I know people up in the rest of Illinois don't understand that. And people here, we're from Illinois. They think Chicago, you know, but y'all know this is Bible Belt culture. And so you know, there's churches all over. And so most of what we've experienced was this emphasis on getting us to, to receive Jesus as our savior. And that is not wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying here. It is not wrong. We absolutely need to get people to understand their need for salvation and to receive Jesus first and foremost. That, that actually conversion is the first part of discipleship, but it's just not the only part of discipleship. And that's where a lot of churches have went all in on, on just getting converts. We just want to get as many people as we can to say the sinner's prayer. And, and so we, we end up reducing, when, when that is your aim and that is your goal, you, you can, not always, but oftentimes end up reducing the gospel to something along the lines of, hey, do you know where you are going to go when you die? Right? And there's some different scary ways to approach that, right? 10 out of 10 people die. You know, you're all going to, like, you know, we, we can force people into this place of thinking about that. Well, do you know where you're going to go? Well, no. And, and, you know, and maybe they say, well, I hope I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Well, you're actually not. You know, the Bible says you're not. So there's the good news. And, and, and that's true. But then we, we kind of walk them to this place of, okay, you're going to die someday, heaven or hell. And uh, I don't want hell, so I guess I'll choose heaven. What do I do? We'll pray this prayer. And, and then we sort of check them off the list, invite them to come to church and move on to the next house. And, and I'm grossly overestimating, um, you know, years of, of culture within the church, but that a lot of us can relate to. And, and when that happens, we sort of begin to put all of our emphasis on just that. We just want to, we want to get more and more converts. And so the messages are sort of reduced down to just what's going to get people in the door. And we want to add a gospel presentation on the end to some self-help stuff because what we want to do, we don't want to offend people. We want to get them in. We want to share the gospel and we want to, you know, uh, have them receive. And, and we never go beyond that oftentimes. And so um, the difference between a convert and disciples, a convert is, is, is taking the first step and surrendering to Jesus, meaning they've realized they're a sinner that needs a savior and they have cried out to Jesus to be that savior. 
But then once, and, and when that happens, if you've truly repented of your sins, meaning you realize you are a sinner on your way to hell and that's what you deserve, and you realize that the only hope you have is Jesus and you cry out to him for mercy, the Bible says you will be saved, you are born again, and you are justified in that moment. You're forgiven of your sins, no longer to face the penalty for your sins. You are saved, period. Amen? Y'all still with me? That's good news, church. That is good news. That's called justification. But it doesn't just end there. Once we are justified, he, he, we are now in this process of sanctification, meaning we're growing in our faith. And that's sort of what Paul is going to be talking a, a bit about today and praying for these people. So verse 9 of chapter 1 in Colossians. Colossians, and Paul says this, and so from the day that we heard, so just think about that, Paul hears about, what man, what good news would that be to hear that somebody you have discipled has gone back and started another church? Like that's, that's, that's good news, isn't it? Like not only did they listen to you, not only did they enjoy the Bible study, but they went back and started another church. That's awesome. That is good news, right? That is the hope of any good pastor preacher is that it would multiply. It would go beyond him. And so that's what's happened. And Paul says, from the moment we heard that, we have not ceased to pray for you. So they heard that. Paul was not jealous. Listen to this. This is important. Paul was not jealous that another church was being planted without him. Paul was not angry that they didn't wait for him to get to Colossae to plant this church right. No, he was overjoyed. He rejoiced. And what did he do? He hit his knees and began to pray for these people. He's praying for these people. We should have that mindset amongst us when it comes to different churches. Listen, part of me, you know, I, I, like I don't, I don't love that we, we sort of are, are in need of some, some musical help, but the other part of me rejoices that we have some sister churches that are just willing to bless us. Thank goodness for FBC Harrisburg. Like, we're not competing with them. We're not angry at them. And, they're, and they at us, like, they don't see us as a threat. They're, they're, they're willing to love and bless us by sending some of their resources. That's good news. We should think about that, not just in churches from, you know, a different town, but even around here. Like, when you see another church, it should lead you to pray for that church, to rejoice that people are being reached in that church, and that that church is probably being used to reach people that our church won't be used to reach. And glory to God for that. Amen? So we should have that perspective. We should have that mindset. And so Paul prays for this church. He prays for these people. And here's what he prays. He's, I said, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious mights, might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. All right, so we'll break that down a little bit, but here's, I think, the, the one big point of the sermon. What's a pastor's hope for his people? That they would have transformed lives. Right? You, you, you see that in there, that, that not, like, not just, okay, you got it, you're good, now just hang tight and try to live as well as you can until you get to go to heaven or Jesus comes back. No, that your lives would be transformed. You hear it, that, you're, that you would grow in, in spiritual wisdom and understanding your knowledge of the Lord, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that you would begin bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power, this is all language that, that these people's lives are radically different now, right? This is not just, uh, oh, I became a Christian. Well, 
yeah, and what else? Like, well, no, I just, I, I became a Christian. Like, and, well, did your life change? Well, no, it, it, they said I didn't have to. I just had to pray this prayer. Like, well, no, you don't have to change your life in order to become a Christian. We need to get that straight. We need to be, we need to be clear on that, right? Like, we don't earn our salvation by changing our life. But because we are, as it says in verse 13, as we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, we are positionally different. When you become a Christian, it's not, you don't do that through your own works. You don't do that by becoming better and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's not what this language means. That's not what it's talking about, right? But we do that by recognizing that we are desperately lost in the domain of darkness. This is language that, that would be um, used to, to be parallel to the Old Testament exodus. If you know the story of the exodus, this is where God's people were in slavery, in like actual slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years under the hand of a Pharaoh who hated them and was cranking out more and more work with less and less materials and they were suffering. And they were crying out to God, will you save us, will you save us? And then God sends a man named Moses. You may know the story. And they're rescued out of this, out of this incredibly dark situation of slavery and God brings them into his kingdom to make them a people and they celebrate that for generations to come. That's where we get the Passover meal that we talked about briefly in our communion is that they, the people of God then gathered annually to remember how God rescued them from Egypt by giving the Passover lamb, right? If you know there was 10 plagues and there was frogs and boils and darkness and blood in the river. There was all kinds of weird stuff. Your kids will love the stories if you read it to them and you realize this is real life. This is crazy. Flies, nah, like it's locusts, like those are crazy. But then the final one to get Pharaoh's attention was the death of the firstborn. They're going to look at that in VBS this week. But it's, it's an incredibly dark and, and intense scene to realize that what God did was kill the firstborn in all of Egypt. And you say, well, what, what you know, those people didn't deserve that, right? They, they weren't Pharaoh. They weren't the ones not letting them go. Well, here's the deal. We all deserve that. Pap said that in our prayer a while ago. Like that, that's what we all deserve, to be crushed by our sin. God is, it would be justified to wipe us all out in a moment. But he gives his people away. He tells them to put the blood of the lamb, to kill a lamb, a perfect lamb, not like a, a throwaway lamb, one that you may not use anyway, but no, 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 perfect, spotless lamb to slaughter that thing and to put the blood of that lamb over their doorpost. And that when the death angel came through, he would see that blood and know to pass over that home and to spare that home. Well, that is the, the and, and through that, God rescued his people out of Egypt, right? Pharaoh says, okay, fine. And, and, and he lets them go. And God uses that to rescue his people from slavery. Well, that language is the same for you and I. We are in slavery to our sin. If you're not in Jesus, you are enslaved to your sin. And you may not think so. You may not be an addict who has a needle in your arm. You may not be somebody who's entangled in debt, but the reality is you are enslaved to your sin. And so was I. And so was I. Okay? All of us are dead and tangled up and hopeless in our sin apart from Jesus. And that that language of being in slavery in Egypt is, is actually like should remind us of our own story of our own life apart from Jesus or prior to Jesus that no matter what we tried how much we 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 tried to get better try you know you know do more be a better person you know be content be satisfied that we were still tangled up we were still struggling and we were still enslaved 
to sin. And Jesus made a way. He made a way. That's what he did on the cross. That They had to kill the lamb and, and put that lamb's blood on their, their doorpost. Jesus is the lamb. Amen? He is the lamb of God. And he says, I have come to become the sacrifice. It's no longer that you've got to get a sacrifice and come and slaughter it before the Lord and lay it on the altar. I am the one who has been sent by the Lord to become the sacrifice, to end all sacrifices. And Jesus himself laid on the altar when he climbed on that cross. And his blood is now what makes a way for the, the, the angel of death to pass over us so that we can not experience the sting and power of death, but instead be transferred into a domain of, of, of light and of, and of salvation. And so Paul says, you have been transferred from this domain of darkness into a kingdom of light. You've positionally been changed now. Through your confession, through your repentance and crying out to Jesus, you have been plucked up by God out of your sin, out of your mess, out of your death, out of your slavery, and placed into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of our Savior, of the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins, it says in verse 14. So because of that, because we have been positionally changed, now we live a transformed life. We don't live a transformed good life, check off the boxes in order to get positionally changed, but because we have been through Christ positionally changed from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, now we live a transformed life. So that's the, the hope of the pastor sort of summed up in this one sentence. We say here at the journey, we, we want to love God, we want to connect people, and, and if we do those things, it will, it will lead us to transform the world. Like we will be used by God to transform the world. If we actually love him, if we actually get connected and, and live in a community that God's called us to live in, he will use that powerfully to transform the world. So Paul says, man, we've been praying for you that it won't just end with you receiving Christ for salvation, but that your lives will continue to be transformed. Continue to be transformed. So the question is how? How do you and I, because I, I think most of us would say, yeah, we want that too, right? We want transformed lives too. Well, the question is, is how? So I want to dive in just a, a bit more to some of what we see sort of implicit here from Paul. Uh, how do we get a transformed life? Well, the first point is that we grow in our knowledge. It says in verse 9, praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It says at the end of verse 10 that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. And you're like, well, that's why I'm here this morning, Jordan. Grow me, right? Grow me. And, that, and that's sort of the pattern that we've set up in a lot of churches. It's like, okay, come, come. you know, I'll do the study. I'll, I'll deliver it to you, and, and we'll grow together. And that's not wrong, but it shouldn't be the extent of it. What Paul is saying here is that each of us should be growing in our knowledge of the, of the Lord's will. So what does that mean? This just transformed life doesn't just happen in a moment like it, it, it requires us to, to sit under the fountain of Scripture. It requires us to sit and feast on, on the, the bread of life. And as we do that, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, that we grow in our knowledge, and that leads us to grow in our holiness. And so there is, there's no scriptural allowance for somebody who says they became a Christian and there is no life change. It just doesn't, that doesn't equal out. That doesn't show up in the scripture. And we're going to look at that when Jesus talks about bearing fruit here in just a moment. But, but there's, there's just no, 
that, that doesn't reconcile with, with what the gospel is. That if you've been transferred from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, your life will change. Because the Bible says that, that behold, the old things have passed away, all things have become new. I think I shared this before. My, preach, my, my old pastor used to say uh, that something about, you know, well, I don't want to or whatever, but the Lord changes your want to. It's like, it's not about you having to quit smoking, drinking, to, you know, all these things. But when you meet Jesus, he changes your desires. He changes you from the inside out by giving you a new heart, being born again, taking out your heart of stone, the one that couldn't change, that you've tried to change. You read the books, you, you've done the work, but it is still hard heartedness in there. Jesus says, you come to me, I'll take that thing out and I'm gonna put in a heart of flesh and in that heart of flesh is gonna be my spirit. And as my spirit abides in you, my laws, the way that you were made to be written, they're gonna exist in there. And you're gonna long to live that way and it'll, it'll take some work. We gotta work it out. We're gonna grow in that. Justification happens instantly in a moment. We don't earn that. We don't have to work that out. We cry out to Jesus and we are justified and, and forgiven and saved forever. We can't lose that. It belongs to Jesus. But sanctification takes some time. It takes some time, but it's in our heart and it, it gets worked out. We're transformed from the inside out from the heart that he's put in us and the spirit that he's placed within us is his very own. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is placed within his people and causes us to be born again, causes us to be made new day in, day out. We are regenerated. Or we, are, we are brought into the likeness of Christ one degree of glory at a time. And so we lean into that by growing in our knowledge. So we should be a people who are seeking knowledge, not just for knowledge's sake, right? But, it, but it's also like we don't just become people who know a lot of stuff but don't do anything. We're gonna see that, that, that that's wrong as well. But we're also not just praying the sinner's prayer and then waiting on the preacher to teach us all the things or answer all of our questions. That we become a people who, as Psalm 1 said, we're blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Joshua 1, I think it's 18, says, man, we should meditate, we should cling to the law of God so that it will lead us to live out the life that he has promised for us, a life of blessing. So we read the Bible. How do you get a transformed life? Open the Bible. Don't just wait on Sunday mornings. Open the Bible. There's so many incredible tools out there to help us understand the Bible, to help uh, you know, bring some of that context. The Bible Project is great. I've attached the, the overview from the book of Colossians to your app, and, uh, but you could find all their resources on thebibleproject.com. And, and there's just ESV.org uh, has a, a study Bible. I mean, I, I pay 40 bucks a year for the ESV.org um, membership, and I get a study Bible, I get a few commentaries, and, and for 40 bucks a year. And there's all sorts of resources there that will give you overviews and context for these books and notes on all of the things. So, uh, I mean, you don't even have to go buy one of those, I mean, maybe you got that, that's cool. Like you should treasure that thing. But if you don't want the giant study Bible, like you can have it digitally now, you can have it on your iPad, on your phone, on your computer, right? There's, there's really, in our day, in our age, there's no, and where we live, there's no excuse for us not being a people who read the Bible. But that is one of the, that's the first way that we live a transformed life or gain a transformed life is by growing in our knowledge of God. And then the second one is that we actually live out our faith. That we live it out, right? So it's not just gaining all this knowledge, 
but it's actually living it out. That if you become lopsided in one way or the other, the person who doesn't want to know anything else about the scripture except the Roman road, right? That they've got this plan to talk to everybody they know about, about Jesus and how they get saved, which is not, don't hear me say that's wrong, but if all you've got is sort of this rabbit trail through scripture and, and you don't want to know anything else because you just want to keep telling other people about that, well, that's a lopsided deal. That's a lopsided faith. But on the other hand, if you spend your days reading and studying and are deep into philosophy and are deep into all of the, the doctrines and the theology of Scripture, but you don't care about people, you don't live that out, you don't go share that gospel, that's also a lopsided faith. We should be a people who live out our faith. That, and, and this is perhaps why some people don't want to lean in. They don't want to learn more because they become quite comfortable with the product that we've sold them of, hey, just pray that prayer and come to church every now and then and you'll be good. So some of you, just to be honest, you don't want to know the Lord's will because it would change your life. It would change how you're living. Some of you don't want that. You don't want to be confronted by God's word. You don't want to open God's word because you know it's going to confront you. And you're, you're good, you're comfortable. You've taken the minimum, right? You become inoculated, this sin thing, and I'm good, that's all, that's all I need to worry about. No, Paul says, man, we should be people who are growing in our knowledge and understanding, and that will lead us to live out our faith in such a way. It says, so, like, okay, so here's the reason that we grow in knowledge and, and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? And again, it's not just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It says spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what we're seeking, right? We're not all looking to be doctorates, right, and have just a bunch of head knowledge, but spiritual wisdom and understanding means that it comes from the Spirit, comes from the Word of God, and gives us an understanding into life. It's not just about book, book knowledge, right? It's about spiritual wisdom and understanding. But the reason we do that, we see so as, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Right? So that's the point of our study and our knowledge, so that it would transform our life, so that we'll live out our faith. So as we read this, it's going to lead us to examine how we live our life. You read this, it's going to lead you to examine how do you spend your money. It's going to lead you to examine how do you spend your time. It's going to lead you to examine how do you treat your wife, how do you treat your husband, how do you parent your kids. What do you look at on the internet? What do you talk about at work? Right? It's going to lead you to examine all of that, and it's going to confront you to live a life worthy of the Lord, right? So, and, and here's the other good news. As, as we live out our faith, it's gonna create a hunger for us to know more about the Lord. It's this wonderful, not a vicious cycle, but a wonderful cycle that as we read, we're gonna wanna live it out more. And as we live it out more, we're gonna wanna read more. And it leads us to grow in holiness. It leads us to grow in our relationship with the Lord. So, so we live it out. We don't just read it for the sake of reading it. Right? I've been, I, I did some weekly devos. I'll probably get back to that. But part of my fear is that it'll just feed into this idea that just, just tune in and, and you know, click play for 10 minutes and that'll be your devotion. But at the end of all those videos, I'm saying, take some time to apply this. Take some time to sit with this and make changes to your life. Otherwise, don't even click play. Right? Don't even click play. Like If we're not going to sit with this and, and say, okay, Lord, how do I apply this? How does this lead me to be changed from here on out? Then... Like it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer. If you just read the word but don't do it, you're like somebody who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. No, no. You need to be a person who reads the word and applies the word. So live out your faith. Live it out. Live out what you read. Read out what you study. 
Um, the Hebrew people saw an absolute connection between knowledge and conduct. That's why it says walk. For them, that's language of like putting it into practice. For them, th there was really no category for somebody knowing something unless they did it. Wouldn't that be refreshing in today's world? There's all kinds of people who claim to know stuff, but they don't do any of it, right? Some dude is like coaching business people the other day, and I'm like, has he, has he led a business? I don't know what he's doing, right? I don't know, it's weird to me, right? But it's, it's, for the Hebrew people, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna know something, claim to know something, they're gonna see that played out in how you live. Otherwise, do you really know it? That's, that's just how they saw it. That, that, was, that was the sum of, of how they lived. Right, so this is not living a, way, a manner worthy of the Lord in order to earn our salvation, but because we've been given this salvation, we live in a manner worthy of that salvation, fully pleasing to him. We grow. We are, does it mean God's in love with some future version of you? He loves you right where you are, just like a kid who, you know, I don't get mad at my kids when they're learning to walk. Do you? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? You see a parent just get angry when the kid stumbles and falls? Like, oh, you're so stupid. I'm done with you. Right? No, it'd be weird. And you've got to report them. It's weird. It's wrong, right? It's abusive. But you don't. As a parent, you love that kid, and you want to, you, you go, no, 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 buddy, get, get back up. Let's try again, right? And you're cheering. The whole family's gathered around. Like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's very encouraging. God loves you as you are, but he knows you're stumbling to, to, to get going. He knows you're stumbling to grow in the Lord, but he's not angry at you for it. He's, he's here saying, no, let's try again. Get up. You're okay. Let, let's try again. You know what I mean? Hold you? Okay, I'll hold you, right? But, but let's go. Let's try again. That is what is a manner worthy of the Lord. It's not that only are we worthy and pleasing to him whenever we have reached full righteousness. No, he loves us right now as our child. But we'd be concerned about that child who's not growing and developing, right? You go to the doctor and you take these developmental tests to make sure your kid's on track. And if not, you're concerned, right? Paul sees some of his churches, in fact, writes to some of his churches, says, y'all are still babes in Christ. You're supposed to be eating meat by now, but you're on the milk. Get off the milk. Come, let's eat some meat, right? And so we, as Christians, we don't want to stay as babes in Christ, the elementary things, just because we know the gospel. It's not about moving on. We don't graduate from the gospel, but we lean in further. We grow in deeper, and we drive our roots in even further to the gospel, and it transforms us even more so. So we live out our faith, and that will lead to us bearing fruit, living a life fully pleasing to him, and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here's the deal. Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by, your, by their fruits. My old pastor used to also say, we may not be called to judge, but we're called to be fruit inspectors. What does he mean by that? He said, there should be, when somebody claims to be a Christian, when somebody claims to have met Jesus, we should expect transformation. And if we don't see it, we should perhaps be concerned that they didn't really understand the gospel, that they didn't really meet Jesus. Some of you, that could be your own story. We're talking about VBS this week. Some of you went to a VBS as a kid and you prayed a prayer and you were told that you were saved, but maybe it never transformed your life. You have no evidence of an internal faith and a relationship between you and God. Well, if that's you, you need to be sobered by that. Now, that doesn't mean, like, it's not a one and done deal. 
The hymnation still stands. There's still breath in your lungs. You can repent and meet Jesus today. But the, but the idea is that when we meet Jesus, we will be transformed. We will bear fruit. That that is the nature, just like the gospel by its very nature is something that spreads. A Christian by its very nature is something that bears fruit. And Jesus says so. He says, they, they will know you're my people, right? By how you love one another, by how you live, right? He says, you will be known by your fruit. So a good, fruit, a good tree produces fruit naturally and spontaneously because it's the nature of good fruit, of a good tree to produce good fruit, right? What does that mean? It, like, we don't focus on the fruit. We focus on becoming more like Jesus. We focus on worshiping Jesus. We focus on growing in our knowledge of Jesus. And when we do that, we'll start bearing fruit because it's in the very nature of what it means to be a Christian. When we focus on Jesus, when we are putting our nose into the Bible, when we are raising our hands in worship and, and putting ourselves in a place of sitting under the fountain of God's goodness and his grace, we will begin to bear fruit. The fruits of the Spirit will increase in us. We will begin to be a, a place, a, peop, a person of hope and, and of, you know, advice to people around us. People will want to know where does this hope come from, and we will end up making more disciples. Like a healthy disciple actually ends up making more disciples. You understand that? Like if we're truly being made into disciples, we will then make more disciples. Does that mean we're all going to be pastors? No, preach. No, I'm not the, I'm not the disciple maker. I'm here to equip you all, the people, for the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? Make disciples. So our job like, is to equip you to become disciple makers in your own space where God has placed you, in your home. Moms, dads, you should be studying to be able to answer your kids' questions. Does that mean I don't want to help you with that? Absolutely not. Man, a pastor loves to get a call saying, hey, can you help our family? Can you help us answer these questions? Can you help us work toward family design? Like that's, the, that's a dream call for a pastor. But you should be burdening yourself to, to be studying, to, to know how to answer your kids' questions that are going to come up how to equip them to walk in your life. Like, same thing with your spouse, right? right? We should be a people who are, who are preparing ourselves for that. We should be a people who are prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us so that as we bear fruit at work and people come and engage with us, we can share the gospel. We can share, like we have humility, we have a posture about us that we, we can have conversations. And so, uh, I'll read this quote from a commentary. It says, a good tree produces fruit naturally and spontaneously because it's the nature of a good fruit tree to produce fruit, okay? We don't focus on the fruit. We just focus on becoming a good, healthy tree in Christ, and that will lead us. We will automatically, like, we will bear fruit. A useless tree, no matter how healthy, remains a useless tree. So somebody that's outside of Christ will not bear fruit. They cannot. Jesus says a diseased tree is not going to bear fruit, right? They're still diseased. They're in their sin. And it doesn't matter how healthy they get, they're still a useless tree. That the only way to begin to bear fruit that will last into eternity, that will make a difference in this world, is to meet Jesus and su surrender to him. Only a, a true Christian existence can produce fruit. If there's continuity between the being of a person and his or her works, that's good fruit. If they say they're a Christian, you see that playing out. They're growing in humility. Now listen, you need to look at all the fruit of the Spirit, right? Because if they're just growing in, hey, look at me, look at all this ministry I've done, and they're exalting themselves, well, 
that's probably not fruit of the Spirit, right? That, that, there's, there's no humility in there. There's no grace in there. They're, they're trying to exalt themselves. And a lot of people will take the gospel of Jesus Christ as an opportunity to exalt their own self, right? They'll, they'll take that as an opportunity to make themselves look better. And if you don't see it paired, if they're not look more and more like Jesus, then, then we have to be concerned. Does that mean we're writing blogs about people who we've inspected their fruit and we don't think they're Christians? No, no. That means within our church context, within our community groups, within our, our family here, we approach people who claim to be followers of Jesus but still live exactly like the world. And we say, hey, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Because your life doesn't seem to have this fruit. Are you okay? Can, can we talk? Can we study the Bible together? We don't have to come across accusatory. And, like, we need, if we love them, we want to call them out. Right? We want to call them in, invite them up, right? We're not trying to just push them down and make them feel bad. We're starting to say, hey, I'm afraid you, you may not have the full good news here. Let's, let's talk. Let's study. All right, so we should be a people who bear fruit in those sorts of ways that we begin fleshing that out, that just like Epaphras is transformed by the gospel, he goes and now transforms his area. Woman at the well, we talked about last week, she's transformed by Jesus. She goes back and starts telling everybody about Jesus. We become a people who are transformed by the gospel and we go and tell and we bear fruit, right? Wherever we go, we end up bearing fruit. And then um, strengthened with power. So it's not just knowledge, but he also says, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. All right? So it's not just knowledge. We actually need power as well. That a pastor is praying for his church to receive power. We don't, like in our enlightened era of, of work, like we don't have a lot of context for power. We preach through the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians, and it was a challenge for a lot of us because we've not seen God show up in that way. But in this context, the power that he's talking about is really power to endure suffering, right? With patience and joy, right? So the power, you, you're going to need not just the knowledge of God, but also the power of God to get you through, to grow you, and for you to become the person that God's called you to be. So you should be praying for that. You should be longing for that. You should be growing in that. power to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So the last point, there, there's others we're, we're leaving out, but the last point we're going to look at today is that pastor hopes for his church that they would be a thankful people. He says, give thanks. Be a people with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Listen, this is, this is trendy. Uh, I was given a, a journal at one point. I've heard other, you know, you, you got lifestyle people uh, talking about journals, and I was, I was given one, and it's like a little daily journal. And it, it wants you to start out the day by writing down three things you're thankful for. And, and people are talking about how transformative that is. And I'm not mocking it. It actually is transformative. It's good and right. Right? Paul said that. Philippians 4, he talks about, hey, I've, I've uncovered the secret to live life, right? Whether I'm in prison, whether I'm prospering or whatever. He says, what do I do? Well, I'm not going to think about things I don't have. I'm thinking about things I do have. That's a, that's a really uh, simple uh, paraphrase of, of that. But, but that, that's the idea is that we are immersed in a culture that thrives on convincing us that we don't have what we need to be happy. You realize that, right? You are bombarded with ads, with ideas, and with advertisements all the time, whether you got your phone, whether you're on TV, or you're on your computer, things to, to 
remind you of what you don't have so that you'll spend money to get what they got, right? Like that's just, that we are bombarded with those images all the time. And then that, that leads us to look at other people and think, oh, they've got that. I wish I had that new car. Oh, they got a new house. Man, I wish I could do that. Oh, they got that. I wish I could do that. They've got that family. Oh, I wish I had that, right? Look at their spouse. Oh, I wish mine was like that, right? We, we just, we are bred to have this discontentment just going and owing and going and going in us, right? Is it just me? It's like those, this is the water we swim in. Paul says, being in the kingdom of light transforms that in us. It transforms that in us. We are people who become thankful. Why? Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. He has qualified you by making a way through Jesus Christ to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That language is what was used to talk about the people of Israel when they were brought out of Egypt and brought into the promised land. They were divided up into tribes and each tribe was given its inheritance, right? Its portion of land, its role to play in the kingdom. That's that language of God's people being blessed by God. This is your land. He says, listen, you should be a thankful people because no matter what's going on in your life, and I know there's stuff going on in y'all's life. I know. I miss doing communion the way, like I'm looking forward to getting back when we come forward because I, I used to love just seeing our church just come forward. I, lo- I love just being reminded of who all's here because, man, as a pastor, I get to walk with some of you all and I know that some of y'all don't bring that stuff to us, but l- l- I know that life happens. And for some of you, life has been happening. But regardless of what you've got going on, we should be a thankful people. Why? Because God has qualified us to receive an inheritance. That inheritance is life eternal. In the kingdom of his beloved son, he's given us redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. That in and of itself is enough to lead us to be a people that are thankful people. Yes, there's gonna be things we wish we had that we don't. Yes, there's gonna be things that are happening in our life that we wish would stop or would have never happened. But nonetheless, when it boils down, we have a joy that cannot be taken away. We have a joy that cannot be shook. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that leads us to be a thankful people. So we give thanks. We give thanks. We pattern our life after that. Paul says, let's just look. It's actually, flip one page back to the left. I wasn't planning on this, but verse four, Philippians four, says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Wouldn't that be good news? We need some more reasonable people. At least I do. Uh, The Lord is at hand. He's near. Do not be anxious about anything. So y'all are like, okay, how do I do that? I'll buy that product. Whatever he's selling, what is it? What is it you sell, Rob, that's about anxious? Uh, ashwagandha helps. Ashwagandha, that helps too. Get some of that. That's all right. You get anxious. But here's the real key, right? Don't be anxious about anything because in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Somebody's asking me earlier, is there anything we can't pray about, anything too small? And he's talking about his golf game. No, I think it's okay. Pray about that. It's good. But let whatever you got, bring it to the Lord, right? Let your supplications be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Some of y'all are in situations where there is no peace on paper. There's no resolution. There's no solution. There's nothing that, that goes, okay, if we just do this, and then somebody else does this, then we'll get this. Some of y'all are just in a mess that there is no peace to be had. But he says, in the gospel, there's a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he says this, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, 
If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Church, you're told to think about all kinds of things all moments of the day. Think about these things. Think about what you don't have. Think about what they do have. Think about this. Think about what you're going to have to do. Think about how much money you're going to have to make. Think about these bills coming to all of those things. Paul says, it will eat you up. It'll eat you up. Paul says, I've learned the secret to contentment. Whether I'm in prison with no money or I'm on the mountaintop with all that I need. The secret is this. It's this. Whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's true, think about those things and be a thankful people. Give thanks. The needs you have, you roll them up to God in prayer, and then you give thanks. You give thanks, and it will be transformative. And this will lead us to be a people who are living transformed lives. Man, what would it look like, church, if we, just the journey, became this kind of people? What kind of impact would that make in this area? if we became a people who lived out our faith. You think about the witness that we would have. You think about the drug addicts who would meet Jesus and be set free. You think about the families that are broken that could be restored as people step into mentoring, step into fostering, step into adopting. Like the, the, the work that we could do, the, 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 the confusion about what life is actually about and what church is actually about when we just become a people who embody this. Man, what kind of impact. Paul says that gospel will keep bearing fruit. It's doing it all over the world, and it's going to keep happening in us. We lean in. We become that kind of people who are growing in our knowledge, allowing our faith and the knowledge of God to intersect with our life and actually change how we live. It's transformative, both in our lives and in our community. As we love God, connect people, right? We do community together. He'll use us to transform the world. Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm grateful for this truth that you are the king. And as that king who controls it all, you made a way. You didn't leave us in our suffering. You didn't leave us in our sin. You didn't leave us in our, slave, in our, our, our slavery, but you made a way. Father, I pray for anybody who's not experienced that transformation yet, who's never met you. I pray you give them faith to come this morning receive you as Jesus. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would give us a renewed gratitude for our salvation that would lead to a transformation in the way we live life. Satan has rocked many of us to sleep. Lord, we are in a, a haze about our spiritual life and what you've called us to do. I pray you would sober us up this morning and use us for your glory. These things we ask in your name. Amen.